some Kleenex up here next to me, but whoever that is needs to get on it in future weeks. <laughs> hey, well, first I want to say thank you to Phil, filling in, <laughs> no pun intended, for me last week. Um, doing a great job talking about some of uh, reorientation. So as we've talked about here this morning, we've, we're kind of wrapping up today, kind of the series we've been on. Um, we've now completed three cycles of looking at psalms of uh, orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, and I hope that it's been refreshing for you. I know that as I've had to study and prepare uh, every week uh, here this summer, most weeks, um, it's been a huge blessing for me um, to dig in and be reminded of so many of these things. I've learned a lot about the postures that I need to keep through the various seasons and stages of life the truths about God and about myself that I need to cling to, and the lies that I need to let go of that negatively shape my perspective about what's happening in and around me. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time wrapping this up. I want to take a look at just some maybe takeaways um, that will help us kind of remember what we studied as we continue to journey on in our life with God. So we talked about orientation, disorientation, reorientation on both the, the micro and the macro levels, okay? And sometimes these stages can be for extended seasons. They can sometimes last for weeks, months. Sometimes they can just be moment by moment as we go about our days. All of us know that we've had days that have started out awesome, right? We, we spend time with God in the morning orienting ourselves to who he is and, uh, you know, who we are in him. Everything's firing on all cylinders. And then the kids wake up, <laughs> right? And then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Whining, demanding commences, or our spouse says something kind of snarky. It kind of catches us off, and we begin to kind of spiral. Or we might actually make it out the door, Right, doing pretty good, and we get in the car and we drive to wherever we're going. But then we walk into our job or into school or into our practice or wherever it might be we're going that morning, and all of a sudden that that boss or that teacher or that classmate or that coworker or that friend or that coach is just a little critical, maybe says something a little sarcastic. The list goes on. We get a bad grade, a poor review at work. We get a disturbing email or upsetting test results from the doctor. And all of a sudden, in a moment, we start to unravel. And this cocktail of emotions is kind of swirling around in us and we're drowning. And all those truths that we were holding on to so well, just like an hour ago, are out the window on the heels of the latest changing circumstance that catches us off guard. But many of those micro troubles uh, that we experience uh, just kind of day in and day out, a lot of those we can be quickly remedied, maybe just by spending some time in prayer, maybe throwing on a worship song that kind of gets us back into the right frame of mind or calling up a friend that can encourage us or a mentor that can kind of help us get our minds back in the right place. What I really want to focus on today is more of the macro level stuff. Where do we go in our head and our hearts when life hits us hard? 
with the troubles of this world. An unexpected death, a job loss, a financial crisis, maybe a divorce or a painful season of marriage or various forms of abuse that we're enduring or a major health crisis by you or someone that you love. So I recently started this, reading this new book. Um, and actually, on my, my two weeks of vacation, I actually read two books, which was like, yay. <laughs> That's like my, my jam. So I had the time to do that, which was awesome. So I started this new book. And in the beginning of the book, right above chapter one, right at the top, there's a, a Bible verse there. First thing I looked at when I opened this new book. And the verse is from the book of Job. And, and Job is a guy who, you know, you know his story. He's in the middle of this season of just incredible, devastating disorientation. He's lost everything. And this is the verse. It's from Job 23, the passage, 8 through 10. Job writes, but if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Man, that's really good. Job is like, man, I'm, I'm searching for God in the midst of the mess. But everywhere I go to kind of look for him where I think he'll be, I'm just missing him. We're, we're not connecting in some way. I can't seem to find him. But then he says this, when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. Man, that's a really confident posture and statement by Job, isn't it? We need to be tested. Do you believe that? Seasons of disorientation are good for us. They're necessary times. What do we believe about this world that we live in? What are we trying to make of it? Because Jesus is really clear. All right, John 16, 33. For in this world, there will be trouble. Think about it. The vast majority of the people in this world, the vast majority of the people that you rub shoulders with on a daily basis are not following Jesus, <laughs> are not living according to his kingdom values. And so because that's true, they are, they are coming into our worlds, our spheres, and they are spewing forth all kinds of ugly things. Greed, lust, anger, bitterness, selfishness, envy, jealousy, hatred, into every corner of the world. And sometimes in our worst moments, we kind of add to the pot too, don't we? It's why there are abusive systems and governments everywhere. It's why there are systemic systems of injustice that are robbing hope and life from people all over the world. In this world, there will be trouble. You see, at the center of this world is this core of disorientation. That's at the center of this world, right? I want you to think of like a, um, a, a ride, an amusement park ride, okay? Like the Scrambler, all right? If you've ever been to World of Fun. Like you've got this center post, right, that's kind of controlling everything, and all the carts are kind of going around it, right? So at the center of the world... 
this core is disorientation. And all around this center, because that's what's true, this earth is broken, nature is broken, our bodies are broken, I'm broken, you're broken, we're all broken. And so many Christians live like they're on the same ride as the world. Responding with the same hopelessness, the same worry, the same anxiety, the same rage, the same desire for control. But Jesus came and he spoke a new reality into existence. The second half of that verse, in this world there is trouble, says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. In another place, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. We're not playing by the same rules here. We're not on the same ride. We're living outside of what's going on all around us. In contrast, the core, the center of the Christian worldview is this narrative of Emmanuel, God with us. Just like we were singing this morning, man, there's another in the fire, right? In the trouble, in the storm, in the pain, in the hurt, we are not alone. There is someone more powerful and more reliable than us, controlling, moving all this stuff. He's holding everything together, including us. And that is a comfort that the world does not have. And in lieu of that comfort... In lieu of that stabilizing reality, the world is left to numb and escape and medicate and consume and seek thrills and put their hope in relationships or put their hope in politics and politicians who are going to set everything right in the world. And all of that is fool's gold. None of it provides you what you think it's going to. And Emmanuel, God with us, ought to cause our life to look different. We ought to be more compelling. We ought to be more stable, more fulfilled. Because we're going to experience the same troubles and storms as everybody else in this world. Right? But we should be handling them vastly different than the world does. I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 this morning. It's page 1384. Matthew 8, 1384. We're going to be talking about the story of Jesus calming the storm, but I want us to take a look at what happened before that in chapter 8. So in the beginning of chapter 8, there are two different stories about Jesus doing some miraculous healings in a couple different settings. Sandwiched in between those two healing stories is this other story about this Roman centurion, a non-Jew, somebody that wasn't hanging out with Jesus every day, who has this unbelievable faith story that Jesus says, wow, man, he's impressed by this guy's faith. And so I want you to keep those things in mind of what the disciples had just been through and experienced heading into the story that we're going to read, starting in verse 23. 
It says, then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So this furious storm comes up and these disciples, several of whom were professional fishermen, mind you, are freaking out, right? They're crying out to Jesus, hey, we're going to drown here. They were in over their heads. This is going on, and, and it's beyond their ability to control, and they know it. And that was a really disorienting feeling for them because this was their area of competence. You know when you have those friends, uh, buddies that you're with that, that um, are experts in something? And you go and you do that thing with them, especially like some kind of adventure thing, rock climbing or, you know, whitewater rafting or whatever it might be. And then you get into a situation where something kind of goes wrong and your expert friend starts panicking <laughs> and you're not the expert and you're thinking, oh, that can't be good, right? So imagine what it's like for the other disciples, the one that aren't fishermen, to see the fishermen disciples freaking out. Imagine what it was like for Matthew, right? As he's over there playing with his calculator, right? <laughs> What's your theory on why Jesus was sleeping through this whole disorienting ordeal? What's your theory? Because we don't know for sure, but let's throw out some theories here. He was what, sorry? Testing them. Testing them? Okay, yeah. Yeah. Because he was tired. Yes, yes, true. He was exhausted, right? I don't think it's how tired I was. I'd, the winds and waves were lapping over. I'd be, I'd be waking up, but yeah. Any other theories? Yeah. Mm. The thing, he said the thing that triggers his sense of unsafety doesn't trigger Jesus' sense of security, right? That's good. What does he know about his story? He knows he's still got some things to do. He, he knows he's going to be okay. Right? Because he's still, he has a cross to go to one day. So he's got the foresight of, hey, I've got a road ahead of me, a mission, a plan that God's called me to. He's going to get me there. So no matter how bad this storm is, it's not going to be the end of us. As long as you're with me, <laughs> you're going to be all right. They didn't know that. Right? Jesus trusted God's plan. He knew he was going to protect him to the finish line. 
Why was he questioning the disciples' faith there, right? He says, you guys have little faith. Why do you think he was questioning their faith? What had just happened before they got in the boat? Kels? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's good. They've made some declarations about their, their faith in him. What else? What had Jesus just been doing? Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah, they'd just seen him miraculously heal person after person after person after person, and somehow they couldn't translate what they'd just seen to the situation that they were in. And I think sometimes we struggle because it wasn't us that needed the healing over here. And so sometimes we can get detached a little bit because we see something that God is doing but it's not in us <laughs> we can have faith and unbelievable confidence in God's ability to do something in somebody else's life but then when we're the ones in the boat <laughs> whoo man that's a different level of faith isn't it trust will he come through for me or will he come through the way I want him to I would guess that many of our seasons that we would call disorientation are actually amplified by our lack of faith. Our lack of trust in God's plans and provision. Because whatever we're going through in life, God is with us. He's promised us that, right? He's in us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And in him, we have all that we need for whatever life brings our way. It doesn't mean that we won't grieve. It doesn't mean that we might not struggle and doubt and question at some level. But as followers of Christ who believe that, you know, the, the guy that has the authority to make the, the waves and the wind die is in us. There ought to be a different countenance in us as we're navigating all of this. We should look different than the world. We should have hope in Christ, faith in his power that he's in control, comfort in his presence. Our faith has to be tested. The storm didn't happen by accident, right? This was scripted. Is a part of the plan. Jesus was trying to teach them something here. You guys know, many of you know James 1, verses 3 and 4, right? It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and tests of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then verse 4 says, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't pull the plug 
on the discomfort that God has you in. Let perseverance finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you embrace trials? Seasons of disorientation, believing that God is shaping you in some way, that he has something for you, that he's producing something of value in you. When Job was trying to find God in the midst of his suffering, he knew, he knew that when he was tested, he would come forth as gold. Why? Well, look at what Job writes next in the next two verses. 11 and 12. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept to his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. What's Job saying here? He's saying, I've prepared myself for times just like this. And because he's prepared himself, we've talked about this during this series, he could move more quickly into a season of reorientation. He doesn't stay stuck in the disorientation quite as long. He's able to reorient himself to what is true despite his circumstances because he's hidden God's word in his heart. I want you to, yeah, leave that up there for a minute. Don't overlook Job's language here. Look at what he says. I've closely followed. I've kept to his way. I've not departed. I've treasured the words. That's an all-in mentality, right? I talk about this with my runners a lot. A lot of people get a lot of anxiety around racing. <laughs> and I say, you know what? The more you prepare for the race, the less anxious you should be. You've done the work. You've proven to yourself day after day that you can do it. You know pain's coming. Those of you that are runners, you stand on that starting line, you know the pain's coming at some point, right? But every day you've come and you've practiced being in pain and pushing through the pain. And so you have this catalog of a victory that you can draw from. Oh, man, I did that on Monday and Wednesday. I can handle it on Saturday. I can do it again. Now, if you haven't prepared, <laughs> yeah, it is anxiety-producing, right? Because you don't know how you're going to come through it. Guys, here's the sad reality. Is honestly, like most Christians don't put in that kind of work. I mean, we might show up on Sunday morning sometimes. Maybe we crack open a Bible here or there. But can you, can you really say those things that Job said? I've closely followed. I've kept to his way. I've not departed. I've treasured his words more than my daily bread. That kind of value. Then we find ourselves in troubling times, and we haven't equipped ourselves to come through as gold. And so we end up looking like everybody else in the world when they go through hard things. Filled with fear and worry and anxiety and, and clutching for control and trying to manipulate and persuade 
And one other important lesson to remember is that we have to let go of how we want or think life should turn out. If we want a, a comfortable, trouble-free life, then we have the wrong goal in mind. The goal is to know Jesus and to become like him. And the trials and tests of disorientation are necessary ingredients to shaping Christ-like character in us. The friction and the heat in life have to be there to burn away the impurities in our heart. I love this article I came across in, in the Leadership Institute um, blog by Lisa Scoppel. She wrote this about navigating times of disorientation. And there's three postures that she mentioned. First of all, she says that we need to learn to lament. She said, on those days when our emotions feel overwhelming and more than we can handle, we can bring them to God. Lament helps us stay current with the condition of our souls and brings us into the place of intimacy and presence that, was so desperately, that we so desperately need and desire. Lament does not change our circumstances. It changes our perspective. And then Graham Cook added this quote. He said, this worship of lamenting isn't done in order to have God remove the pain. It simply recognizes that God stands in the moment with us. So as we're in seasons of disorientation, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge and we have to enter into the grieving process and feeling the weight of it. That's a good thing. So learn to lament. Secondly, she said, learn to wait. I love this quote I came across this week. It says, disorientation is where all transformation takes place. If we learn to wait and let it form us, if our liminal spaces, that means kind of the space between, right? So we're kind of straddling disorientation and reorientation, the past and the future. If those spaces are approached intentionally and within community rather than staying paralyzed, running away, or going at it alone, we can boldly approach it and confidently move forward into our futures or reorientation. How does that speak to you, just that quote, that perspective? Anything challenging or encouraging there? Yeah, Taylor. Yeah, yeah. There's such a big difference between going through life trying to avoid disorientation 
and going through life preparing for disorientation. And the posture and the way in which you live your life, believing those two different things. What else? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, just the importance of community, having other people who have different stories, different experiences that can encourage us and share the load, and we can share their load. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. You know, there's you know, three basic ways that we respond to things in life, right? Fight, flight, or freeze. <laughs> kind of talks about those tendencies. A lot of times I'm kind of a freezer. <laughs> I can stay paralyzed sometimes. So we learn to lament, we learn to wait. Right? Let perseverance finish its work. And finally, the third thing she said in the article was we let go. The author, uh, Scopel, writes this. Reorientation is not a place we arrive on our own. It's not an accomplishment, something we can force, control, or make happen. It's pure gift, God's grace. We learn to release our hold on expectations and trust God with it all, believing that he has a plan for our future. And the key phrase for me in this article was these two words. We learn. We learn. What that speaks to me is that this won't come naturally to us. <laughs> right? We need to ask God through the Holy Spirit to teach us how to do that. God, I don't know how to lament. Show me. Help me. I don't know how to wait. <laughs> I'm impatient. I just want the pain to be over. I don't want to learn a lesson. I don't want to be shaped. Help me to stay in it. God, teach me how to let go. Teach me not to have this just one desired outcome that I think I have to have in order for life to be okay. Help me to be open-handed and surrender whatever it is that you might do, what your will might be for my story. We need to ask friends and spiritual mentors, this is what Randy was just talking about, who are further down the road to show us more. Show us, teach us, help me. How do you do it? How have you navigated this? And little by little, as we grow in our faith and we wade, wade through a few seasons of disorientation in healthy ways, not only do we grow, but we become people who can help other people navigate those times too. We can become people that other people turn to and say, hey, show me how you went through that. Because it seems like you came through it in a healthy way. And what happens is that the times that we spend in the valleys begins to kind of shrink. It's still a valley, but maybe we don't stay stuck there quite as long as we used to. 
it shortens as we mature and how we reorient ourselves more quickly to the truth of who God is and that he's with us, that we have the overcomer in us, right? In this world, there will be trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world and the overcomer is in us, right? We are more than conquerors. That's you, not just me, not just Pastor Bob. Every single one of you is an overcomer because of Jesus. So what are our takeaways? I want you to grab your phones, if you have them. You all do. Open up that note page. I'd love for you just to jot down what are two or three things that you are going to take away from this sermon series this summer? Orientation, disorientation, reorientation. What have you learned? What are you going to hold on to? You're not going to remember much of what I've said and Justin said and Phil said. But could you just jot down two or three things that you want to remember from this season? Now put your name on it and send it to my cell phone. Just kidding. No, I really, you could if you wanted to. I'd be encouraged by that. Hey, could we just take a moment and just have some people just kind of share what a, a couple takeaways have been for them just to kind of encourage others of us um, by just what you're learning? I'd love for you to maybe be willing to say that on the microphone so we can all hear and not to repeat it all. Anybody willing to just kind of share, hey, here's a takeaway for me from this summer? I'll give you $10. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Oh, I don't want more. Oh, yeah. I have trust in God's plans, and moments of disorientation are certainly going to happen, but they're necessary and will equip you for the future God has planned for you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my, back here, Scott. It, it gave me a better appreciation of the Psalms. Um, the Psalms. The Psalms and Proverbs, I'll just combine them together. Never my favorite parts mm -hmm. of the Bible. And going through this series just helped me understand them better and gave me a better appreciation. And the other thing I wrote, so I don't have to send it to you later, <laughs> is uh, it just, uh, oops, now I lost it. Um, it just, it just, Help, it just helped me think about keeping God more involved when I have problems and mm. 
you know, don't, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who likes to solve my problems myself, so okay. to, to keep them involved. Yeah, that's good. Anybody else? Oh, sorry, you're out. You ready? <laughs> uh, I think it just reminded me of God's presence in all three phases there. Like sometimes for me, I either think of his presence being when I feel it in orientation, but then like, where is he in disorientation? But to see like, no, he's very present. There's real purpose in it um, in like all three phases of that process. And sometimes he's the initiator of it, right? Yeah. Anybody else? It's good. Yes, Cass. I've thought a lot about when Dave Hine was talking about disorientation and um, when his counselor, whoever it was, that said, like, who do you think you are that you won't experience this? Mm. And just how that can often be our perspective as well of, like, well, if I'm, you know, doing the right thing, like, I'm not going to experience this. So I've thought a lot about that. And then also just having grace for people that maybe move through the cycles of disorientation or whatever at a different pace than mm. I do or that I feel yeah. like they should be, mm -hmm. but being in that with them mm. instead of trying to push them through it. Yeah, that's really good. Whew. Uh, we need to remember that for sure. Hey, thank you guys. I appreciate you sharing. Guys, the reason why I had you, you know, write some things down <clears throat> It's just to remind everyone here that the reason why we're here, you know, besides worshiping God, obviously, right? But it's the reason why we're here is to change. And the change requires intention. And you, can, you guys sit in here and you hear sermons week after week after week after week after week after week, but what are you doing with it? Is it becoming a part of you? Are you wrestling with it? Are you meditating on it so that it begins to change you, right? So we begin to operate differently than we have in the past so that we hopefully be, we become more and more like Jesus, right? And, and we do that in community, and so we share. I would encourage you, whatever you wrote down in your list, with your spouse, with a friend this week, say, hey, here's what I took away. And so then, so what habits, what routines, what rhythms are you going to begin to incorporate in your life, it's going to help you navigate those stages, those patterns that we're all going to go through differently next time so that the disorientation doesn't wreck you quite, maybe quite as much as it did before. You're more quickly able to reorient yourselves, right? You wake up and approach your day with a better orientation to who God is, who you are, who other people are, what's true, wherever, you know, you really need to see some growth. It doesn't happen by accident. You know, if you want to be a better runner, run. If you want to be a better Christian, follow Jesus. Spend time in his word. Commune with him. Pray with him. Talk with him. Be around other people who love him and are walking with him. Right? This is how change happens. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for all the things that you've shown us. Thank you for the intentional times 
of disorientation. And that perspective that you give us of just that we actually consider it joy, that you test us. Because that's really where we find out what we believe. When we're standing on the, on the mountaintop, everything's great. God's awesome and beautiful and all those things. It's when we're in the valley that we really find out what it is that we truly believe about you. It's when we really find out, what, why, why am I anxious? Why am I worried? Why am I trying to control? Why am I not trusting? That, that things, impurities in us really get revealed. So God, we need your help. <laughs> we want to be more like you. We need to learn. We need to learn how to grieve, how to wait, how to let go, and how to trust you. Thank you that you're a God that's with us. Thank you that at the core of our story is Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us and he has the power to do whatever it is we need him to do. And he's put that power in us to overcome. We thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we